So I asked myself this question. If I um, knew what time I was going to step up, and I knew what we had experienced to this point in the service, what would I say? And um, this is where I feel like um, the Lord led. And so I just have a few words, and um, I think they're important. And um, with the first word that I would just share with you, and then um, I would like to turn to the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. And there are two verses that um, are culture-shaping for us today. But I, I, I don't feel like I did enough Hallel to go with Ryan. I don't know that I boasted enough before the Lord in my own personal heart over all of the families that were gathered across the front of this and um, in front of this stage and just celebrating the reality of all of these beautiful children that we had the chance to do life with. And so I wanted to kind of have a David moment where I just danced before the Lord and just celebrated them. And, um, and I, was, I was just sitting and thinking, um, God, what is the response to that? And my response to that was, this isn't a sweet moment, although it is. Solely, it's not a sweet moment. This isn't a aren't they cute moment. Um, this isn't, my their diaper was bad moment. There's none of those. This was, for us as a church, this was a stewardship moment. This was a moment when we began to say, God, what do we have? What is our role and privilege if we're going to make these covenants and these prayers and these commitments to one another? And God, how do we steward that for the sake of your glory? And um, I think we can learn from that. I think we can learn from saying, God, it's not just a phase, but we want to make the most of every opportunity that you give to us. And if we could do that, we want to declare Jesus to these kids. We, we want to wrestle around. Here's what, here's what did not happen um, about 15 minutes ago. We didn't have a 12-minute um, dedication service and stop. From the moment these kids were born, we have an intentional strategy in, just, in this church to partner with parents and to plant truths in the lives of preschoolers. And then as they move into the kids' ministry, very explicit truths in their lives to um, intentionally and strategically partner with mom and dad to say what we talk about in church, we want to give you the privilege of writing on the doorpost of your house. We want your students, when they hit our student ministry, to have wonder and discovery and passion for the things of God. And so what is happening here, we want to mobilize into the very heart of your home. And here's the running thematic question that is very personal to me because this is in my life right now. Here's the question we want to answer as a stewardship before the Lord. When one of these beautiful babies is 19 years old and they're sitting in their dorm room from the very first Friday night and making decisions about what they will do, we want to know this, that the truths and principles and realities of what we had planted in their lives will guide them on that very first night when they are on their own and making decisions and it will guide them for the sake of the glory of the cross. And so we're, we're, and we're not just kind of going, well, that's our hope. Hope is not a strategy. And so we didn't have a 15-minute dedication. We have an 18-year passion. And then when that um, 18 years ends, we have 60 more years if they live to the average, 70 more years for them to live for the glory of the cross of Jesus. And so we're not emptying marbles if we can have a little peace this morning. We are making a bigger reservoir for the glory of the cross. 
And so I, um, with that, those truths in mind, I just stop. And this is a, I don't say it to my kids this way. Um, I have different words I've used, Cynthia, with y'all. But this is maybe a truth that's coming on the screen. Imagine if we truly believe that every person that we run into mattered to God because they were formed in His image. Cynthia, imagine every person that you run into that you lock eyes with was made by God. My kids hear this from me over and over. And I don't really care how much they harm you, how insane they are, what they have. Imagine if we truly believed as a body of believers that every person is made in the image of God and even more importantly, for the glory of God. It would, that would drive us a bit, and it would cause us to foster culture. Jesus taught in the way that appealed to the image of God in every person, and look at who he met. Jesus said things like this, Blessed are the peacemakers. He challenged us in Matthew, Let your light so shine. He said, Do good, do gloriously good as you walk on this earth. He said things like this, I don't know how you view that one that's in front of you that's made in your image, but here's how I view them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. View them as if they're made in my image. Lay down your life so that others' lives might be lifted up. Love others more than you love yourselves. Jesus was teaching us to steward this reality because he was teaching us as if we truly believed and we imagined this reality to be true of us that every person mattered to God because they're made in his image. He didn't just teach this, he modeled it. Look at who he conversed with walking along the road. He, he met with prostitutes and forgave them. One of them taught us how to hallel Jesus. Boasting gloriously in his presence while the rest of the quasi-religious subculture sat steadfast, she broke out the perfume jar because she understood the praise and worth of Christ. She believed who she was, not what he saw in temporal mode, but he believed that she was made in the image of God and for his glory. He touched lepers. He fed the hungry. He talked and welcomed children in a time in society when they were the lowest of the rung. He partied with outcasts, and in doing so, um, he shaped a culture of, of dichotomy. And that's where I want to land and talk about what culture are we shaping in our homes, Within our groups, if you're a part of a ministry in your ministry, and perhaps a global question for every person in this room through our church. Because Jesus kind of set up this this idea of, I believe that every person is made in the image of God. And if that's going to be our belief as well, and we're going to reach generations, then we're going to have to, we're, we're going to, it's going to be vital that we activate the voice of a loving Father. As a people, as a ministry, as a home, that we activate that voice and we speak as if Jesus taught us how to speak, and he did. In Luke, the 15th chapter, it says this, and you've just heard multiple examples of this. I'm only going to read two verses. Um, here's what I encourage you to do this week. I highly encourage you to read the entirety of the 15th chapter of the book of Luke um, daily for the next six or seven days. And just to begin to understand the heart of a father and what it means to love unconditionally. Jesus taught in this manner. And I I just want to share two verses, Luke 15, verse 2, which says this is where Jesus was. And the Pharisees and scribes, they're complaining about Jesus because they say this of him. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. 
And here's why. Because he believes with all of his heart that every person is made in the image of God. And therefore, he is mobilizing his heart toward them. And then it's, it's, it's verse 20. And I want to share some character qualities of a loving father. And maybe in, in including just this, the lead up to this verse 20. So Jesus is a loving father, got up and responded to his son. He got up and went to his father, the son did, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, he was filled with compassion. And I love this description, this is one of my most um, desirous longings as I think of my heavenly father, as I think of my own life and the moments that I have stunned him by my apathy or by my stupidity, and I return to him, here's how he returns to me. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And that's the character quality and the voice of a loving father. Jesus is sitting in um, a room and he is teaching about worship. And as you just heard in verse 2, the religious subculture struggles with that. They always will struggle with the reality of who Jesus is and that he believes that every person is made in the image of the Father. And so Jesus, rather than um, chastising them, tells them three stories to illustrate the heart of a loving father. He says, um, first of all, there's this, this parable that I want you to hear. Three parables, three stories. This is the heart of God for us. Um, first, if you had 99, if you had 100 sheep, 99 are in the pen, and one is loose, you're going to move heaven and earth to go find the one, because the 99 are good. And so you will leave and you will go. And then I, I love what he says, and when you return with the one, the heavenlies will throw a glorious party for the returning one, for that which was lost has now been found. That is the heart of a loving father. Then he goes on and says another parable. He said, if you have ten coins and you lose one, you don't just kind of go, oh, well, no big deal. You light a lamp, you sweep the floor, and you search the house. And when you find the one, guess what happens in the heavenlies? Yeah, I mean, they rejoice over this. This idea that Ryan read in the Hebrew Hallel, that's not foreign in heaven. It's just foreign to us at times. I mean, they're boastfully rejoicing. They're, this coin was lost. It's found. And then he tells a heartbeat story. And oh, by the way, there's two sons. This is the third parable. And one son stayed with me throughout the time. The other son, he asked me for his inheritance. He took it. He squandered it, as the older son says about him later. Dad, he squandered on prostitutes and profane living. He went about his way. He lost ultimately all of his inheritance. He finds himself hungry. He finds himself working in the midst of a pig pen. He's looking at the pod saying, if I could just eat that, it still won't satisfy. So what do I do in this? How do I respond? And all of a sudden, it clicks with him. My dad treats the people who work for him. My dad treats the people who give their lives for him better than I'm currently being treated. I could go back to dad. And it says this of him. He came to his senses and he went back to his father. And in doing so, he had already prepared the speech to give to a loving, graceful father. Dad, this is what I know of you. If you would let me live in an outhouse, if you would just let me work for you, I will gladly serve the rest of my days. And a loving father instead, as he began to turn and make his way home, the loving father on the, at the rest of the story is sitting on go. And the minute he sees him far down the street, this is where verse 20 picks up. 
the loving father takes off and instead of waiting for the son to give him the speech, he takes off and ran to his son, grabs him in his arms, lifts him off the ground. I imagine they end up, because, you know, dad's not that strong, they end up just falling and rolling on the ground and they are laughing together and then the son all of a sudden has an epiphany before him of how bad things have been. So he starts into his speech and the father says, stop where you are, kill the fatted calf, bring me a robe, my son is home, he has been found. And so if we're, if we're going to steward well, we have to, as a, listen, listen to this, listen, we have to, as a family, as a small group culture in this church, as a church itself, we must develop the voice of a loving father. I said, I said in my small group this morning, and we talked about the interesting nature of gospel conversations today and how challenging they are. And I don't believe that we will have gospel conversations in a prodigal world without the voice of a loving father. And so we we must ask ourselves, what do we learn from Jesus about the heart of a loving father? And I I would write these down as they're coming up on your screen. And I would write these down. Every person is made in the image of God. Therefore, every person should be treated in the way a loving father would treat his child. Again, apply this to your home. Apply this to your group. Apply this to our church. And let's ask and wrestle, God, is this where we are? And if not, if not, God, would you develop within us this culture, this heartbeat, this passion? Here's what a loving father. I wrote down four things. They are super quick. Loving fathers are preoccupied with who's missing. Loving fathers are not sitting around and going to table. I'm so glad for who's here. I'm so happy about this. Loving fathers are sitting and going, there's someone missing at this table. What does that mean for your group? There's someone that's heart is wandering at this table. Loving fathers grieve over this. Loving bodies of believers do not just go, oh, it disappeared, it's okay. No, no, we grieve and we agonize and we pray over this. Loving fathers in a culture of that prepare a meal anticipating that the son will return home potentially that night. So there's always an extra table, there's always an extra setting, and there's always enough food because it is never sufficient about who is here, but there is always a passion for someone missing. And so would you, would you describe the culture of your home or your group of God? We grieve for this and we're praying for this because there is someone that is missing. Loving fathers, they forsake personal desires so that they can give more for those not yet at the table. Loving fathers set a table every night. They cook enough food. They walk the streets and pray. They relentlessly look in hope and wonder. And they're passionate. Older brothers... On the other hand, are preoccupied with themselves and have no concern for who's not at the table. The loving fathers. Number two, loving fathers function from a context of forgiveness. Here's, here's what happened, and here's what will happen to a prodigal society that surrounds us. And this is, guys, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, and this will take me about two minutes to complete, but this is worthy of about two years worth of thought. The reason that the son returned home is because he knew he would gain forgiveness in returning home. The reason that the son returned home is because he knew it was a safe place for him to return. 
The reason that the son returned home is because he knew he would find grace there, hope there, purpose there, and even in the lowest rung of that place, it would be better than his current circumstance. In the external prodigal world around us, who are sitting currently outside our walls and outside of our homes, do they look at our homes, do they look at this church and say, there's hope there, there's forgiveness there, there's a culture of that there, and if I land in there with all of my brokenness, I will be received with grace. Loving fathers function from a context of forgiveness. And the greatest need this young man had was a need for a loving father to find a place for grace, forgiveness, and here's critical, an intended future that was better than his present. Now, here's what I do believe, that we are surrounded by a prodigal society that longs for a church to say, you will find grace here. You will find forgiveness here. But you will find a group of people who live for an intended future that is glorious for the sake of the gospel. Do you think that your home, our group, this church, is, a, is the first place that the hurting consider when they're in the depths of life? And if not, what will we do about it? If so, there should be Hillel going on in your heart right now. Older brothers work from the context of shame and guilt, but not loving fathers. It's grace and forgiveness. Every person is made in the image of God, and every person should be treated the way a loving father would treat his son. So we learn from Luke, the 15th chapter. Number three, loving fathers function from a context of relationships. This is one of my favorites. Loving fathers throw parties. Loving churches throw parties. Loving churches and loving homes are filled with joy. Loving places are built from relationships. They welcome the hurting and bring them to mending. And then as they're mending, they join with the heavenlies in partying over it. Praise the Lord. We, we throw good parties here. They don't... They don't wait for them to get things together. They run toward them in context of relationships. We are building relationships and putting them in the place of love and grace. And here's a future tense. In hope. God, we have extreme hope. And God, we have an intended future. Would this not be beautiful if it characterized our homes, our groups, our church? The characteristics of our church are this. Here's what makes them up, because this is what makes up heaven in Luke 15. Forgiveness and joy. He once was lost, but now he's found. What should we do? You can. Thank you. We should throw a party. Older brothers throw fits. You could read verse 28 and follow. As long as this is not about me, I'm just ticked. Loving fathers and loving churches throw parties. And here's what, here's what loving fathers do to older brothers. If you'll read in Luke 15, loving fathers look at older brothers and realize that they've lost sight of the way, that they have lost context of where they were. And so here's what they do. They force them and move them into the party because the older brother has forgotten how lost he was. And so he forces him and says, you're going to come into the party because you've forgotten the story of grace. 
And you're mad right now because someone has received grace. And so, son, you're going to come into the party. Because loving fathers don't kick the older brother out either. They just bring him into the party and hope that they see the goodness of forgiveness. And so this isn't the message of, oh, I'm some of your older brother. Let's get you out. No, no. Come into the fest of grace. Because here's what we believe. Every person that we meet is made in the image of God. And every person should be treated the way a loving father would treat his son. And I I just end with this. Loving fathers are enduring. Loving fathers keep the lights on as long as it takes. Go back to that old commercial, you know, we'll leave the light on for you. We will not turn the light off. Some of you are sitting in this room and going, we've been praying about this situation for 29 years now. Loving churches and homes leave the light on as long as it takes. There's an amen for that right there. And and I'm I'm wrapping up, but there was an amen. Like we, we will relentlessly pray. We will scatter with grace. We will speak hope. We will pray for an intended future. And we'll leave the light on. We will believe and relentlessly hope that a wanderer will come home. That the party is on go. Listen, we have a box in the corner. And when I'm running, I will pick up the box because it's all the party favors. It's on. I didn't have to have the, I didn't have to have the robe made. I didn't have to have the fatted calf killed or found or bought. It was waiting. And the lights are on. And I am longing for you to come home. Because I believe this. Every person is made in the image of God. And every person should be treated in the way a loving father would treat his son. I think Jesus taught and lived this as priority. Jesus was building his church on this foundation. And I think the reason it moves me so much and why it was the words I would share at the end of a day like this is this. I know a prodigal and he is me. And I am so thankful for a loving earthly father a loving heavenly father, a loving church, and a loving savior who threw a party when I came home. May we all experience the character of a loving father. May, more importantly, we become a church that is characterized in the context of forgiveness, anticipation, grace, hope, and mercy. Why? Because we once were lost but we have been found. Glory to God. Jesus, I thank you for this day together in worship and to stand with families, with small children. God, I pray that we will be a loving family for them, that we will lead them to a loving God, that we'll be a loving church, that we will be a place where we serve because we are declaring the heart of a loving Father. And so, Jesus, we thank you for you. We pray for your grace. We thank you for its sufficiency. And we worship you now in our closing of the service and the scattering. In Jesus' name, as we close our time together, we just tend to close with a moment of worship. And we want to close today just coming before the Lord and saying, We hallel you, Lord. We praise the name of the Lord, our God. 
You are a loving Father and we worship you. Some of you are less in need of Hillel and more in need of mending today. And so we have an open altar in this worship for you to come and say, God, I just need to come to you. Would you run and meet me in an altar? Whether you want to meet with one of our pastors who will be here at the front and just have them lift your name to a loving father or just want to come and bend a knee before God. We're just praying for a culture of brokenness being healed. Of a welcoming by a loving father. So we don't close our services solely in song. We close them singing, praying, kneeling, standing, hoping, and thanking that we have a culture of a loving father. So whatever your response, at least at this moment, would you stand with me and sing this closing song? If you want to find a way to the front and pray, would you come? We just have sacred worship right now. Oh, praise the name.